everyone. Welcome back to my channel. So happy to have you here for another video. And if you are new, welcome. So today we're going to be talking about Michael or Mike Severance and Wendy Mae Davidson. And this case is totally nuts. So I am very excited to hear your opinions and thoughts on this one, friends, because wow, I know you're going to have a lot. It's totally mind blowing how this one went down. It's very frustrating. Just a warning. You're going to be annoyed. But let's start out by talking about who Wendy Mae Davidson is. So Wendy was born on July 23rd, 1978 in San Angelo, Texas. Her parents, Lloyd and Judy, raised Wendy and her little brother, Marshall, out on a ranch. And so, obviously, from a very young age, Wendy was around animals and always took a big interest in animals. And she knew from a very young age that one day she wanted to become a veterinarian, which I feel like is pretty common for a lot of kids. I knew at one point I wanted to be a veterinarian too, until I realized kind of the harder side of that and what you'd have to do in more difficult situations. It's not just playing with animals, clearly. But anyway, San Angelo at the time was a place that held very traditional values. I'm not sure how it is now or how much it's changed, but back then, I guess it was very traditional, meaning that, you know, church, family, and having kids were predominant focuses in this community. Wendy attended Water Valley High School, where she was a great student, and in her free time, she volunteered at the local vet clinic. Growing up, she was also very athletic. She played on her high school basketball team and volleyball team, and at one point she was also a cheerleader. After high school in the fall of 1996, Wendy went on to attend Angelo State University, and in only two years she completed all of her prereq courses. After that, she went to Texas A&M to study veterinary medicine so she could finally fulfill her lifelong dream of becoming a vet. And people have described Wendy's family as being very passionate about education and success, especially her mom, Judy. Judy could be kind of on the strict side. And so Wendy hadn't really experienced true freedom until she got to college. And when she was in college, she ended up getting pregnant with a baby boy. And even though the father wasn't really going to be in the picture at all, Wendy really wanted to raise her son. So in October of 2001, her son Tristan was born. And luckily she did have support from her mother. She ended up moving closer to them so that she could help raise the baby while Wendy finished school. And in May of 2002, Wendy graduated from vet school and she moved back to San Angelo to work at a vet clinic. And it was there that she would meet her future husband, Michael Leslie Severance, who often went by Mike, was born on July 20th, 1980 in Lee, Maine to his parents, Les and Valerie. He was very close with his family. He also had a little brother named Frank. Now, like I said, he grew up in Lee, Maine, which is a very small town that's near the U.S.-Canada border. And Mike really loved growing up there. He loved Maine and everything that the state had to offer. He was a pretty introverted person, but he was always doing something active. He loved being outdoors, whether that meant fishing, hunting, or anything that had to do with cars or wheels in general. In fact, one of his nicknames growing up was Bicycle Mike. Mike was also an incredible skier and he really did well in downhill and cross country. People who knew Mike said that he was always the type to put others first, that he was incredibly caring and a very thoughtful individual. And he faced heartbreak from a really young age. When he was 13 and his brother was 11, 
they lost their mother. She actually passed away from a brain aneurysm. And obviously that was very shocking and extremely hard for them. After high school though, Mike told his father that he wanted to drive semi-trucks for a living. And he even got his class one driver's license. It's hard to convey to people what kind of a person your son is because everybody has a great son. He said to me one day, Dad, I want to be a truck driver. I'm going to haul logs. And I sat him down and I said, Michael, you only know Lee Maine. You need to go out and see the world and then decide if you want to come home and be a truck driver and haul logs in Lee Maine. But his dad wasn't so sure that that was the right path for him. He wanted him to consider following his footsteps and joining the Air Force. So he did. So I suggest the military. And a little while later, he came to me and said, Dad, I'm going to enlist in the Air Force. But if I hadn't have said that, if I had said, go ahead and be a truck driver, Mike, he might be coming through the door right now. On September 28th, 1998, Mike began his first day in active duty and was stationed at the Dias Air Force Base in Abilene, Texas. Mike ended up going on five deployments, and after 9-11, he became a C-130 crew chief, meaning it was his duty to move supplies and other military men into Afghanistan. And he was described as an incredible and very devoted member of the Air Force. He was very passionate about it and often would ask to be put in more dangerous situations because he felt like he had the skill to make a difference and also make it out alive. So like I mentioned, Mike was stationed at Dias Air Force Base in Abilene, and that is the town over from where Wendy worked at the vet clinic. So that brings us to when they met. It was 2003, and Mike and Wendy happened to be at the same bar. Mike ended up approaching Wendy and asked her to line dance with him, and she agreed, and right away, the two of them hit it off. But they actually didn't get to spend that much time together that night. It was, you know, just a little while into dancing when... Wendy got an emergency phone call from her vet clinic saying that there was an animal that needed help and she had to go right away. So she tells Mike and actually gave him her phone number, which she said was something she didn't normally do, but she felt like something was different about Mike. After that night, the two of them reconnected again, went out a couple of times, and just a few weeks after, Wendy became pregnant. And so after not knowing each other for that long, Wendy and Mike welcomed their first son, Shane, in September of 2004. And they had only known each other for about a year at this point, but they decided to get married that month as well. And Wendy said, for the most part, their relationship was really good, that she was really happy. Obviously, things moved kind of quickly, and so there were some challenges, but they were able to get over those. And according to her, everything was going great. The four of them ended up moving into a small unit that was attached to her vet clinic, which obviously was pretty small for all four of them, but she said that they were making it work. Plus it was a very quick commute for her. She's literally attached to her job. However, it was a long commute for Mike to the Air Force Base. It was actually an hour and a half each way. So he was commuting a total of three hours per day. And that you know, really took a toll on him. But Mike loved being a father. He loved his son, Shane. He was also now a stepfather to Tristan. And even though Mike's family lived in Maine, they were all super excited about little Shane. And they would visit as much as they could, even though they didn't get the opportunity to see him as much as her family did living in Texas. The Davidsons all lived around San Angelo, which obviously made it easy for them to get to know Wendy's husband and spend time with their grandchildren. But 
from the beginning, really, the Davidson family, especially Wendy's mom, Judy, did not like Mike and were very judgmental about him in general. There's not a ton of explanation for why Wendy said that her mom kind of just judged him from the beginning, thought that he wasn't good enough for her, was mad that he had gotten her pregnant. Um, There was one specific time where she mentioned that Mike stayed at her mom's house with them. And during the night, he got up to go to the bathroom and was wearing just his boxers. And she happened to see him and she thought that was rude. So little things like that, I guess. But she also said that her mom was pretty judgmental of anyone that she ever dated. But people that knew Mike were really surprised by this. They said that he was really the opposite of rude, that he was a great father and a fantastic spouse to Wendy. He wasn't abusive to Wendy at all. And by everyone's account, he remained faithful to her. I had a great son. He was a very, very good man. He put other people first. I can show you document after document, letters after letters of his coworkers and, and such that say the same thing. I often called my brother Mike kind of my Superman. He was always, always there when I needed him. But this hatred towards Mike definitely caused, you know, animosity between the two families. But the Severances lived in Maine and the Davidsons lived in Texas, so they kind of had enough space that it wasn't a huge issue. But not even five months into their marriage, things really started to go downhill. It all started on January 13th, 2005, when Mike came back from the Air Force Base and he and Wendy got in a big argument. Now, the details of this argument are not known. All we do know is that it was bad enough that Mike felt like he needed to take some time to cool off. And so he took their son Shane to Abilene to get some space. Mike had a lot of close friends in Abilene because this is where he was stationed. And he felt like spending some time with friends and bringing Shane around these friends would be good for him. The only problem was he didn't tell Wendy where he was going or that he was taking the baby with him. And obviously this made her very upset. When she realized that they were gone, she began calling him and calling him and he wasn't answering which just made her more and more panicked and angry. But he wasn't gone for long. Just a few hours later, actually, he brought Shane back to her. And when he got there, Wendy was absolutely livid. The two of them continued fighting after that. But at that point, the argument was mainly about the fact that he had taken Shane and that he didn't tell her where he was going, which is understandable. I feel that most mothers would at least like to know where their son or daughter is being taken However, she tried to tell him that he's not allowed to ever take the baby anywhere without her permission. And that was hard. And he was angry about that because he felt like, you know, he's his son too. And he should have the right to be able to take him places if he wants to. So they're arguing about this and tensions are really high between them already because Mike is preparing for his sixth deployment. They did have plans to go to Maine before he deployed so that he could, you know, see his family and they could also spend some family time together. And their plan was to leave for Maine on Sunday, January 16th, 2005. However, everything changed that weekend. On Friday, January 14th, Wendy and Mike went out to dinner together. And from this point forward, we're going to be going off of Wendy's version of events. So according to Wendy, they go out to dinner on the 14th everything's good. They have a good time. They come home. Then the next morning, the 15th, she sees Mike 
for what she says is the last time. Then she has to go into work that day at the clinic. And after work, she takes her son Shane over to her parents' house because they had been watching Tristan, her other son. So they see her. They say everything's fine. But then the next day, January 16th, when they are supposed to be going to Maine, Wendy calls up her family and lets them know that she can't find Mike. She says that she even asked her mom if she knew where Mike was, but no one had any idea. So then she calls up Mike's dad and lets him know that they won't be making the trip to Maine because she can't find Mike. And of course, he's totally confused, wondering where Mike possibly would have gone. And obviously, any normal person would be extremely worried if their loved one was missing. They'd be doing everything they could to try to find them or get help to find them. But Wendy doesn't even contact police. Instead, she spends most of that day sleeping on and off. It wasn't until 6.45 p.m. that Sunday that Wendy finally calls the police and reports Mike missing. And if that behavior isn't strange enough, the next day, Wendy files for divorce and a restraining order against Mike. No one can understand why she did this. And later on, she says that her mom told her to do it. And she just did what her mom said to do, which is obviously bizarre. You'd think you'd have more of a reason to file for divorce and get a restraining order against your husband. But anyway, so when it comes to her explanation for why Mike may have disappeared, she from the beginning said that he was trying to avoid deployment, that he left on his own accord to get out of being deployed for the sixth time, which doesn't match Mike's character at all. She claimed that he had been drinking really heavily recently and that he was complaining a lot about having to be deployed again. And like I said earlier, Mike was very passionate about being in the Air Force and serving his country. So this didn't make any sense because if it were true, it would mean that Mike went AWOL from the Air Force and would be considered... A deserter. So clearly things aren't adding up here. And Wendy is brought in for an interview on January 19th. And once again, she explains that the last time she saw her husband was Saturday. And she reiterated that he most likely went AWOL. Investigators also spoke on the phone with some of his friends to see what they thought about the idea that he just up and left. And of course, none of them thought that that made any sense. And one of them in particular said that it's more likely he was trying to get away from his mother-in-law who hated him and wanted him dead. And another friend said that he had had a conversation with Mike in November or December-ish of 2004, and that Mike told him his relationship was not going good, and he was considering getting out of the marriage. So the idea that Mike just up and left was starting to seem really unlikely to investigators, and that was even more unlikely when they realized that he left his truck and his phone behind. But having his phone obviously was a good thing for investigators because it gave them more context about what was going on in his life before he disappeared. And at first, data on his phone showed that there was a number for a woman that he had been talking to a lot, often late at night. And so they started thinking that maybe Mike was having an affair and he left with this person. But after they did some more digging, they realized that this woman was just an old friend of his and that there was no evidence of any type of affair going on or any infidelity. So by January 24th, Mike was officially considered AWOL from the Air Force. However, even his higher ups knew that this was just so unlikely for Mike. They knew that he would not go AWOL intentionally 
So they got the Office of Special Investigations, or OSI, involved. And the same day that OSI launches their investigation, they meet with the other law enforcement agents from the San Angelo Police Department to make sure they strategically coordinate their efforts. And they end up learning about a man named Terrell Sheen. Terrell was a businessman who owned the building where Wendy was running her vet clinic. He told investigators that he was pretty familiar with their family and that he wanted to help in any way he could. And throughout this whole time, Wendy is just adamant that Mike left on his own accord to avoid being deployed. And her mother, Judy, is backing her up, saying that, yeah, it seems like Mike would be the type to just leave. He didn't want to be deployed, and he probably went to Canada, maybe. So agents ended up doing a search in a two-mile radius of the vet clinic, hoping that they would find something, especially if Mike had left from there. And when nothing came of their search around the vet clinic, they decided to search in the clinic on February 2nd. They made copies of her computer hard drive, even though any results from this would take several days to weeks to actually come back. And agents from the OSI actually started to believe that if Mike was really hiding out, that Wendy could possibly be helping him. And so the best way to find out if Wendy was helping him was to track her movements. So the OSI got approval from the regional commander at the Langley Air Force Base in Virginia, and they were able to place a tracking device under her car. They placed the device on February 26th, and by the 27th, only a day later, they already found some suspicious activity. It was recorded that Wendy drove about 20 miles outside of San Angelo to a ranch called Four Sevens, and they saw that she had stopped near a pond on the ranch, and she was parked there for a little while, which obviously, if you're talking about a missing person, having someone stop near a pond for a lengthy period of time is gonna stand out. And it turns out that this ranch was owned by Terrell Stevens. So at first, they're not sure exactly why Wendy would stop by this pond so long. Obviously, there's some thought that maybe she did something when she was at the pond or disposed of something at the pond, but they also thought that maybe since Terrell owned this land, is it possible that Mike was actually hiding out there and Wendy was visiting with him? So on March 1st, they contact Terrell and ask if they can search this ranch. And he says yes. And he also explains that Wendy and Mike actually have access to the ranch whenever they want because they own a horse who is stabled there. So their search was conducted on May 3rd. And that's when agents saw all of Terrell's land and realized that there were three ponds located on the property. But after a thorough search, there was no sign of Mike. But that same day, the results of Wendy's computer analysis came back. And that's when they saw Wendy's most recent searches. It turns out that she was looking up information about how a body decomposes in water. And obviously, just like that, it was clear that not only did Wendy know more than she was saying, but she likely was involved in her husband's disappearance and possibly his murder. Two days later, on March 5th, investigators go to Wendy's vet clinic and interview her again. And they just straight up ask her about her internet searches and how she was looking up information about decomposing bodies. And that's when her composure completely changed. They could tell she was getting very nervous, very uncomfortable. But she had an explanation for these searches. She said the only reason that she did these searches was because 
there were volunteer search parties that were looking in bodies of water for Mike. And that made her wonder, you know, if something did happen to him and he was found in the water, what condition would his body be in? But investigators were not buying the bullshit. And they told her immediately that they were going to be going back to the ranch and searching those ponds. And at that point, she completely lost it. She got so upset that she took Shane and left the vet clinic. And obviously the OSI wants to keep tabs on her and make sure she doesn't go back to the pond and try to do anything. So they set up surveillance at the Forest Sevens ranch. And of course, Wendy does show up at the ranch. And when she gets there, she's denied access to the property by the police. She's obviously very upset about this and leaves the ranch and calls her brother, who coincidentally is in law enforcement. And she asks him to meet her at a cemetery. And when he gets there, she ends up spilling the truth to him, at least part of the truth. She tells her brother that day at the cemetery that on January 15th in the afternoon, she came home and found Mike dead on the living room floor. She said she panicked. She had her sons with her. So she told them to go play in a different room while she figured out what to do. Obviously, there shouldn't be that much to think about. If you come home and find your loved one dead on the floor, you call emergency services right away for help. But Wendy said that she immediately believed that someone in her family had done this to Mike. And so she wanted to protect them. She was insistent that she was not the one to kill him herself, but she decided to hide his body to protect whoever did. She then explains to her brother that she brought him to the pond at the ranch and she sunk his body there to make sure that no one in her family would be held accountable for his death. And shortly after she explains all of this to her brother, Marshall, her parents show up at the cemetery and it turns out that Wendy had also called them and asked them to meet her there as well. And once again, she explains to them what she did and why she did it. And meanwhile, her brother, Marshall, since he's in law enforcement, isn't going to be keeping this information to himself. Immediately, he calls law enforcement and tells them that he thinks he knows where Mike's body is and that he knows how it got there and who brought it there. So police come to arrest Wendy and take her to the police station. And that's around 7.30 p.m. And this time she was a lot less talkative than she had been in the past. Marshall, Lloyd, and Judy all were brought in for questioning as well. And all of them just retold the police what Wendy had just told them. And from the beginning of questioning, Judy said that she had nothing to do with Mike's disappearance. However, Lloyd didn't seem that surprised that Wendy thought her mother could have been involved. At this point, Wendy was charged with tampering with evidence. But once they uncovered Mike's body, that would end up telling them everything that they needed to know. So the following morning, March 6th, Mike's father and his brother were given the very bad news. And then Mike's body was uncovered in a pond on Four Sevens Ranch. Ten investigators and members of the Texas Department of Public Safety's dive team actually found his body, which had been well-preserved by the pond's cold temperature. We're all on the shoreline kind of watching where the divers are. These are guys who are like search divers. I mean, they have the boots and the big bell head, and they run air down to them. And all of a sudden, they said something, and the guy, the diver that had the radio that was talking with him, and he looks up and says, they got him, they found him. So, obviously, investigators ask her more about when she found him and what 
led her to want to then bring him to a pond and dispose of his body. She explains that after she found his body, she decides to put him in a cardboard box and load him up into the truck. And she actually did an interview with ABC's 2020 about this, and it was so bizarre. How did you move the inert weight of a 160-pound man? Well, there was a box sitting over in the corner, and in my mind, I thought I was just gonna roll the body in the box, and I was gonna pick the box up and put it in the back of the truck. A cardboard box? Yes, that's what I thought in my crazy mind. Look, I can't make this stuff up. This is real. Okay. <laughs> this is so crazy. Like, you can't make this stuff up. Like, Dean Koontz couldn't make this up. I rolled the body in this big cardboard box, and of course, no, I couldn't lift it into the back of the truck like my crazy mind thought. So I devised a ramp out of a couple of boards, put them on the tailgate. And her whole demeanor in all of her interviews is so extremely disturbing. But anyway, she puts his body into the cardboard box, loads him into the truck, and then she takes her children, puts them in the car as well, and they all go out to the pond together. So they are literally riding in the truck with their father's dead body. And according to her, her original plan was to put weights on the cardboard box and have the whole thing sink together. But obviously the cardboard box starts to disintegrate immediately. So then she ends up strapping weights and heavy objects to his body so that it would sink. I had to take these weights and I'm trying to tie them onto this body. And of course it's the middle of the night, you know, can't hardly see. But it's much worse than that. When Mike's body was uncovered, the medical examiner found out that there were 41 stab wounds in a cluster in his abdomen and chest. Now, they said that these stab wounds were not what killed him, and they wouldn't have been enough to kill him. So why were they there? Wendy admits that she stabbed him 41 times after he died to allow the air and toxins to be released from his body so that it wouldn't rise up to the surface. And when she talks about this, the lack of remorse or fear or any type of emotion is just astounding. I knew air made bodies float, so I decided to make holes in the body, vent holes, like, so the air could escape. So you were actually stabbing your dead husband's abdomen to make these holes so that gases could escape. Yes. So the final autopsy results come back on April 8th, 2005. And I'm curious how many of you, without already knowing about this case, would be able to guess how Mike died. It turns out that Mike was killed by three different types of animal tranquilizers. And of course, all of these tranquilizers would be available to Wendy at her vet clinic, where she also pretty much lived. And at the time that these results came in, Wendy was currently released on bond, meaning she would be able to destroy any of the evidence inside the clinic. Five days later, April 13th, they did another search of the vet clinic, hoping to find evidence of these three tranquilizers. And while performing their search, investigators actually found a record in the trash for a chihuahua named Wheezy. And Wheezy's record showed that he was given an insane amount of one of these drugs for his, quote, seizures, even though the amount given to this 15-pound dog would have totally killed him. And because one of the drugs that was found in Wheezy's records was found 
in Mike's system, investigators now, you know, have proof that she used that to kill her husband and also was falsifying records. So Wendy was arrested and indicted on charges of first degree murder and evidence tampering, but again was released on bond. While she's awaiting her trial, she ends up writing a letter to Mike's father saying that once all of this is settled, she hopes to be able to visit their family in Maine. Also, while out on bond, Wendy ends up getting herself into trouble again. And this time it's for child endangerment. On August 19th, Wendy goes to a bar and her son is found alone playing on his tricycle in two lanes of very busy traffic. Luckily, nothing happened to him, but police, you know, take him back to her house and confront her. And that's when she says that she was just down the street she claimed that she was just going to the pharmacy real quick, but there were witnesses that saw her at the bar. She was arrested for child endangerment, and those charges ended up being dropped for whatever reason. And the charges for murder, however, you know, are still looming over her at this point. All the prosecuting attorneys needed now was motive. And what made the most sense was money. The military had just signed a contract that added $100,000 to the life insurance policies of active military members. So that seemed like the most likely scenario. And now Wendy was facing up to 99 years in prison for the charges. But her team of defense lawyers made a major attempt to throw out one of the largest bits of evidence. Before the trial took place, Wendy's team filed a motion to suppress the evidence gained from the tracking device that was placed in her car February 26th and 27th. They claim that the tracker was illegally placed because they never received a direct court order. And yes, a court order is required to put a tracking device on legally. However, that doesn't apply in this case because the tracking device was not placed by police. It was placed by the OSI. The Office of Special Investigations is an Air Force agency and therefore they abide by different laws. And as a result, a judge concluded that the tracker was legally obtained and used and therefore was admissible in court. Wendy made one final attempt to get out of going to prison. She decides to write a letter to the judge and tells him that she is pregnant and therefore he can't send her to jail, which <laughs> was not true. She was not pregnant and it would have been really easy to verify if she was or not. So it's just a stupid lie to begin with. Pretty much everything that comes out of Wendy's mouth is a lie. So all of this meant that Wendy was likely going to be spending the rest of her life in prison, which was something that she just could not fathom. So instead of pleading not guilty and risking it all in trial, Wendy pleaded no contest and no contest is a little confusing, but it basically means that she is not admitting to guilt, but she is admitting that if she were to go to trial, they would have enough evidence to find her guilty. And because of this, Wendy was sentenced to 25 years in the Gatesville Correctional Facility. Wendy was up for parole in 2019, but it was denied. And I guess it will be reevaluated again in 2024. Wendy has changed her story in interviews multiple times. She has claimed that she had no idea that there were drugs in his system that she only found out months later after that information had come out. And she has actually accused Mike of taking his own life, saying that he may have had a drug problem, even though there's absolutely no evidence for that. And she claims to this day that she is innocent, that she did not kill him. 
unfortunately to this day, there's not answers as to what exactly happened to Mike. We know that he died due to these tranquilizers. We don't know who gave them to him or how, although seems pretty obvious, right? But there's not concrete proof. Wendy sticks by her story that the only reason she got involved with getting rid of his body was to protect whoever actually killed him. I mean, I wish I could do it all over again. You know, I don't think I was a terrible person. I think I just made a really horrible mistake. So there have been questions, you know, could it have been her mother? Could it have been another family member? At the end of the day, it doesn't seem likely. It really does seem that Wendy was the one who did this. I mean, she had access to the tranquilizers. They just had this big argument. There's a lot of question there about what exactly happened. And it's just incredibly sad to think that Wendy would really try to tarnish Mike's name, try to say that he had a drug problem, that maybe he took these drugs on his own or wanted to end his life. And the medical examiner has stated that it would be very unlikely for someone to take these types of drugs if they were, you know, trying to get some type of relief from them or a high or even take their own life. Like, it's just not common. Wendy also tried to say that he had been abusing alcohol and caffeine pills, which, I mean, what a jump from those things, which we don't even know if he was doing that, to then animal tranquilizers, multiple types. I mean, none of it makes sense. We all know that Mike did not do this to himself. Mike's family is just beyond devastated and they don't believe anything that Wendy says. Investigators have said that they feel very confident that no one else was involved in Mike's death and moving the body, which there has been a lot of question over that. How did she move his body so easily? Could there have been another person involved? Investigators don't think so. Mike's family is very frustrated that Wendy's only getting 25 years and then she gets to be free and it could be sooner. And Mike, you know, lost his entire life and they lost out on all that time with him that they should have had. And for them not having the answers to what truly happened to what exactly Wendy did is so frustrating, even though they they know. I mean, we all know. Like I said, this one is just so frustrating because there's still so much that we don't know, so many things we don't have answers to that Wendy does. And for her to be so adamant that she didn't do it, ugh, just, it makes me so angry. That is going to be it for me today, guys. Thank you for joining me for another episode. And make sure you follow the show on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. It really does help me out. If you want to watch the video version of this show, you can find it on my YouTube channel, which will be linked, or you can just search Kendall Ray. I will be back with another episode soon, but until then, stay safe out there. <laughs>